The following sermon is from Evangel Temple Student Ministries. For more information about how you can get involved, please visit etchurch.org forward slash student dash ministries. We're going to be in Exodus 32, and so if you have your Bible, please pull that out. I I ask that every week, um, that if you have it with you, please pull it out to where you can make notes, highlights, and... um, and all that good stuff, underlining, um, but it's particularly tonight because we don't have the media up, and so pull out your phones, and we will be looking at Exodus 32. We will be in Exodus uh, for a little while for these um, next couple sermons, but give you a little bit of idea of what is happening here in Exodus 32. The Israelites just left uh, Egypt. They were slaves in Egypt. If you guys know the history of, of Israel, they, they were um, Kind of, this is where they really populated because it, it started out with, with Joseph, right? He got sold into slavery. He goes, he goes down into Egypt, over to Egypt, I guess. Um, goes over to Egypt, and he's in slavery. And then um, his brothers and his dad, Jacob, they come up, and they're, they're living there with him. And then so Israel starts to populate. They start to have this nation. But Egypt, whenever though Joseph had a great name in Egypt at one time, Egypt ended up seeing that this mass of people that they now have, they could utilize as slaves. And so, so Israel becomes this slave nation under, under Egypt, and they're living that way for, for generations and generations, to where now um, they don't know anything but slavery. This is a nation that they only know what slavery is like. And so they get out of slavery, and they're heading away, right? That you guys know God does some amazing works. He, he sends plagues, and he does crazy things showing how powerful and how amazing our God is. And they, they end up escaping from Egypt. They go, God splits the sea, right? You guys know this story. We're walking through the narrative um, of the first few chapters of Exodus. They, they leave Egypt, and now they get to this place called Mount Sinai. Moses goes up the mountain to speak with God, and they're all waiting there at the base of the mountain. And that's where we pick up in Exodus 32, we're going to start in verse 1. If you guys would, um, this is something we don't always do, but if you would, just stand with me as we read the Holy Word of God. This is just to show honor and respect to the amazing Word that we have, the Scriptures that's inspired by God, and um, so we can do that. Exodus 32, verse 1, it says, When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain... The people gathered themselves together to Aaron, which was really Moses' right-hand man. And they go to Aaron and they said to him, Up, make us gods to show that shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from them, from their hand, and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. He took a tool and he carved a golden calf. And they said, "These are your." And he said, "These are your gods who brought you up out of the land of Egypt." When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, "Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord." And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And they sat down to eat and drink, and rose up to play. You guys can be seated. Thank you. 
And so they're waiting on Moses, and Moses doesn't come. And so they say, well, we're going to make some gods of our own. So they say, Aaron, we want you to, you're, the, you're now the guy that's leading us. We want you to create some gods for us, and we can worship those gods. And so he does that, and we see that they worship him, and they fall into idolatry, much like the, the Egyptian culture that they were enslaved in and living in for so, for so long. I, uh, I've told you guys in the past that I'm not too creative to come up with amazing titles and you know all this good stuff. Uh, you got lucky with getting mirrors as our, as our series title, okay? So, um, but I do want to talk to you guys about a topic, talking to you guys tonight about our natural tendencies, our nature to turn away from God. If you want to write that down instead of the series um, title, uh, we're talking about who we are naturally and how it's natural for us to turn from God so easily that it doesn't take long that we can see the amazing works of God, yet still turn from him. It is who we are naturally. The first chance we get, I know that kind of sounds like uh, you know, a downer of a, like this is what we're talking about here, so we're going to talk about how horrible we are. Um, it's not necessarily the greatest, uh, yeah, not, not the greatest message. And, um, but if you're a Christian here today, and you'd say, I, I follow the Lord Jesus Christ. You know that that isn't the end of this series. That this isn't, that's not the end of this message. That's not the end of that sentence. That it doesn't end with us just being horrible. That would be the worst message, right? If I were to stop and just say, yeah, we're horrible. Go home, have a good night. We'll see you next Wednesday. But we know that it actually is the beginning of the greatest story that we can come up with. And that is that God has a salvation plan for us, and that though we are sinful, that we are wretched, that we, that we do have problems, that we are broken, we have hope and we have an amazing salvation in Jesus Christ. And so, um, and that is the amazing story that we should always be talking about. That is the amazing story that should always be talked about up here, and so that should always be celebrated. But it always has to start with the realization of who we are naturally coming to God Otherwise, we miss a huge chunk of what the gospel really is. And so um, that's what we're going to talk about tonight. But before I get into it, let me just pray over the series, over the sermon tonight, over um, what's going to be said in the next uh, few minutes. Lord, I thank you so much that you're a God that loves us and that you're a God that molds hearts, that transforms lives. God, that you take broken people and you make them new. You restore us and you love us regardless of how many times we turn against you, how many times we sin, how many times we prove that we are not enough, you still love us. God, I thank you for that. Lord, I just pray that tonight as I speak, God, that you would speak through me and that you, Lord, you would communicate to the hearts here in this room, Lord, that you are the great communicator. You're the greatest communicator. Nobody can communicate the gospel as well as your Holy Spirit can. And so, Lord, I pray as I speak my words tonight, Lord, that, that you would speak into the souls here, that you would speak into the lives here, God, and that you would transform lives. You would spark a fire in our souls, God, that we want to live more for you. We worship you, God, for that's what we live for. It's your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So since... Uh, since I want to talk about this whole idea of not being um, all that we're, you know, cut out to be, you know, the greatest that we really should be, um, I was trying to think of, you know, what would, be, what would be a good illustration? What would be something that I could really say uh, with a little bit of humor but still make the good point? And I really couldn't think of anything else other than that one person that's singing 
in the congregation during worship and they really aren't as great as they really think they are. You guys all know that person. I always tend to find myself sitting right next to that person. I honestly can't help it. Um, And honestly, if you're that person, if you are just like belting it out um, during worship, don't think I'm hating on you. Like, I love you. And honestly, I applaud your courage and your passion. That's just, um, I, I, I seriously can't help it. I, I always sit down. Um, I, growing up, I remember knowing that person. Like, you kind of know those people. And so I would like strategically sit. And yet I found out there was another person. And he was sitting right next, or he, she or whoever was sitting right next to me. And I found the other person in the congregation. The two people in the congregations. I just can't get away from that person that's just like, you know, screaming in my ear. And I can't hear. Anyway. I say that um, that has no theological significance of that person that really isn't um, all that they really think they are. But uh, I think it can be a good analogy of the, the theological truth that we aren't as good as sometimes we think we are. The magnificence of the gospel is only truly grasped when we realize two truths. We need these two truths to really grasp how amazing the gospel, the, the story of God's narrative of of bringing salvation to us that can only be truly understood with two truths that, one, how truly great God is, that he is an amazing God, and he's a powerful God, he's a loving God, he is truly an amazing God, and then second, how truly broken we are, how truly not amazing we are, that we are in desperate need of God. These two truths need to be known, and it's vital because if either one of these two truths are lacking, in your understanding, then the gospel is, under, is, is lacking, that you're minimizing how truly amazing gospel is, that if you know that you are completely unworthy and that God is so amazing, then you can see how truly amazing it is that God would save us, right? These two truths are so important to know the power of the gospel. But I think in this scripture that we just read, Exodus 32, I think both of these truths are lacking, that God's great power and then our true brokenness aren't being acknowledged to the full extent that they should. And so I want to talk about that tonight. Um, It becomes pretty apparent right at the very beginning that uh, they don't acknowledge how truly amazing and how powerful and how trustworthy our God is. They see that, um, that, that God isn't there, that Moses isn't there, and they are so quick to walk away from him. We know that... um, The time whenever they were in Egypt and they were seeing God do these amazing miracles, send these plagues, right? The the spirit, it says the spirit goes through the streets. And then God sends these animals, these creatures, and then he literally splits the Red Sea. And we know that it's still in the same generation of people, the same people are living. Whenever now, they don't even acknowledge that and they're willing to turn away from turn away from God, and worship other gods. Now, I know they, they didn't literally forget God did all those things. They're not, I mean, they don't have short-term memory loss. Like, they, they're able to cognitively think back and remember God splitting the sea. But obviously, it didn't make the impact that it should have because they were, yet though they, they did see God split the sea, they were willing to walk away from him later. They literally remembered, but it didn't impact them in their hearts how truly powerful and how truly amazing God really was. At this time, Moses was kind of the face of um, their relationship with God, with Yahweh. As I told you before, um, Israel had kind of 
grown up in this, in, in this place called Egypt, right? And so up until this point, all they've seen is Moses working for God, right? God later, he ends up uh, causing st- these streams that, that they can follow. God does amazing works. But, in, but up until this point where they're at Mount Sinai, all they've seen is Moses commanding um, the, through the power of God that things would happen. And so it's natural in their minds that when they don't have Moses, they now don't have God. Moses goes up on this mountain. Moses is gone for a little while. They're waiting at the bottom of Mount Sinai. They say, well, now Moses is gone, so we need a new God. Because they don't have this personal relationship with God. They, they follow Moses who does, and so they, as a nation, serve God. The problem is that they saw this amazing work of God, but it didn't have this deep appreciation that's stuck to where they can remember in their hearts how great God is. It kind of reminds me of uh, the story I don't have it written down, the citation of where it is. I think it's Luke 17, if you guys want to look it up. Um, fact check me. But it's the story of the ten lepers. The story of the ten lepers. Jesus is walking, and ten lepers come up to him. And they yell from a distance, and they say, Jesus, we, we, we want to be healed. We've heard of how great your power is. They knew how powerful God was. And, and they said, we, we need to be healed. And Jesus said, go, wash yourselves. Go wash yourselves, you will be healed, and then now come back to me. And so they go do this, they, they, they're literally healed, but only one comes back to faithfully follow him later. Only one. Nine lepers, their lives are miraculously changed for the rest of their lives. They are changed for good, yet they don't come back and they worship Jesus. They don't, they don't thank God. They, they see an amazing work in their lives, just like Israel saw God split the Red Sea. They know that God can do amazing works, yet it didn't make an impact to where they're willing to come back and continue to serve him, to have a faithful commitment to him in the long run. This is just like Israel. They don't truly grasp the amazing power that our God has, and that in itself, if we are the same way, if we don't realize how amazing our God is, we're shorthanding the gospel that we, that, we, that we stand by and that we uh, say that we live by. Not only did they, uh, did they not acknowledge how powerful God was, but uh, we see that Aaron, in particular, didn't acknowledge how truly broken he was. He, he wanted to cover up, really, what he had done. If you read, Aaron had carved the calf, right, with the, with the tool. He had done that. But then we see later, I, we didn't read this part, but we see later that whenever Moses comes down, he's furious with Israel, and he throws down the tablets, and he says, what have you done? He starts yelling at them, and he goes to Aaron, the leader, and he says, what happened? What, what were you thinking? What were you doing? And this was, this was Aaron's response I'll read both of them, Moses and Aaron. Moses said to Aaron, what did the people do that they... That that you have brought such a great sin upon them. And Aaron said, let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. You know the people that they are set on evil. You know what they did, right? He points, he points his finger, he says, you know, you know that they're set on evil. For they said to me, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what has come of him. And so I, I, I said to them, let let any who gave gold, uh, any who have gold, take it off and give it to me. And I threw it in the fire and out came this calf. It sounds crazy to us. In this culture, in this time, 
It was this belief that when you threw these elements into the fire, the deity in which that, that calf would represent, it would shoot out the calf. The deity would construct that calf that would, that would represent him. And so he's really standing by that, the, I didn't do it, the, the other God did it. The deity, the calf did it. But you know, those people, the Israelites, they're set on evil. He's not willing to acknowledge how truly broken, he's not willing to acknowledge his sin. We see this at the very beginning at this whole narrative that we call the Bible the narrative of God's redemptive plan. We see this in Genesis chapter 3 whenever man first sins, Adam and Eve, they eat of the fruit, they sin. And I think it's Genesis 1, 26, 27, um, or 12, yeah, 12 and 13. Um, God comes to Adam and he says, what have you done? You've sinned against me. And Adam says, well, it's, it's the woman that you gave me. She's not the one that gave me the fruit. And so God goes to, goes to Eve and he says, what have you done? Why have you given Adam this fruit? And she says, well, it's the serpent that told me to do it. We naturally point our finger and we don't like to acknowledge that we're in the wrong. We don't like to acknowledge that we're sinful. We don't like to acknowledge that we're broken, right? Not only can we not acknowledge how amazing our God is, and sometimes we forget that and we don't live accordingly, but we also can't acknowledge how truly broken and in desperate need of him we are. And in both of these circumstances, we really shorthand the amazing gospel that we say that we live by. I mean, it's not hard. It's not a stretch of the imagination to get this understanding that that it's our natural tendency to want to, you know, point fingers and, and, and try to hide blame from ourselves, right? Every little kid does this, right? They they're literally could be standing by a wall. The wall's covered in crayon. They're holding the crayon, and the mom and dad's like, what happened? They're like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. And they're like, did you, did you write on the wall? They're like, no, no. And they'll stand by it like they're not going to budge. But yet we're no different. We don't like to show our imperfections, right? We like to try to put on this facade. We like to put on this, this mask that we're some perfect person that's not going through any struggles. We're not dealing with family problems. And we're not, you know, dealing with addictions. We're not dealing with these things because we're, we're able to say, well, I mean, I see, man, you see the culture that we're living in. Oh, man, you see what so-and-so is struggling with. Oh, do you see that so-and-so guy? But, yeah, we, we're not willing to maybe look in the mirror, that we are truly broken and we're in desperate need of an amazing and powerful God. If the, uh, if the worship team would come up, if we don't acknowledge how, how broken we are, we truly do minimize what God has done for us. I'm not saying that, that whenever you walk with God, whenever you start to grow in your relationship with him, I'm not saying that you don't get better with, with struggling with sin, that, that it's, it's natural. That's called sanctification, that we're growing to becoming more like him. We're becoming more holy. We're becoming a better representation of Christ himself. I'm not saying that we don't get better, but as soon as we start to assume, well, I'm not that bad off, I don't, I don't sin that much to where I'm I'm actually okay. You know, I can kind of rely on myself. We might not say that ourselves, but if that starts to get in your head, this prideful, this idea, you start to get in a very dangerous position to where you start to minimize how desperately we need the gospel because it doesn't matter how sanctified you are and it doesn't matter how holy you become. It doesn't matter any of that. We all desperately need 
Jesus Christ, and we all need to be humbled to accept this is who we are because that is the very first step to get to the next part of who are we in Christ now. Now that I know that without Christ, I am so broken. Without God, I have nothing. Until we acknowledge that part, you can't truly grasp, now who am I now that I have Christ and he has made me new, that I am a new creation, that God has revitalized me. We need to first acknowledge the first step of how, how much we need that, how much we truly need him. It reminds me of this story, going back to the Gospels, of Simon and this woman. Simon is a Pharisee, and he, he uh, invites Jesus into his house. Pharisees thought they had it all figured out, right? This, they, are the, they are the definition of what we're talking about here, of, of minimizing how, des- how much they need God and really emphasizing how all right they are by themselves. And so um, Simon thinks he's got it all figured out. He, he, he invites Jesus into his home, and he says, sit down and, and eat with me. And so he does that. And Jesus is sitting there eating with him, but this woman comes in. This woman comes in and she just falls, at, she runs over, she falls at Jesus' feet and she begins wiping his feet, cleaning his feet off with her hair. And Simon, it says, Simon thought to himself, man, if, if he realized how much of a sinner she was, if he, real, if he even knew her reputation here, he would be disgusted and he'd have her leave. That's what, that's what he's thinking. And Jesus catches this. Jesus, you know, weirding him out, answering, his, answering what he's already thinking, right? He's saying, if only Jesus knew how horrible she was, how broken she is. Jesus says, Simon, let me ask you a question real quick. Simon says, yeah, okay. And he says, a man is a lender to two people. One person, he lent him $50, denarii, you're putting it in cultural context. Uh, he, he lends them 50 denarii. That was their currency. And then he lends the other person 500 denarii. And then he says, you know what? Both of your debts are forgiven. The man that I owe $50 or 50 denarii, you're good. The one that I owe or that I, that I lent 500 denarii, you're good. He says, Simon, who do you think is more appreciative. Who is, who is more happy about that? And he said, well, I'd say the guy that got off on having to pay 500 denarii. And Jesus says, you're correct. This woman knows how much I saved her. She realizes how much in debt she was. She realizes how desperately she needed me. And whenever I forgave her, whenever I gave her love, whenever, whenever God forgave her, she is that much more appreciative and that's why she fell down and she's washing my feet. But you, you didn't do any of that. It, it, was, it was the custom whenever somebody walked into your house, whenever they're a visitor of your house, you would naturally give them something to wash their feet off from walking. Simon didn't even think to do that. But this woman comes and she's washing his feet and she's crying, she's doing it with her hair because she, she knows how amazing Jesus is, and she knows how truly broken she is. And because of that, she's really able to appreciate the gospel that we now know. But yet, I think there's so many of us here that are, can maybe identify with Simon a little bit more. 
that we don't always acknowledge how truly broken we are. And we, we really lose all on how amazing the gospel is that we claim. You know, honestly, it doesn't matter how much you know. It doesn't, it doesn't matter how much you can, you can say of this or you, you know about this Bible. It doesn't matter about all the, all the knowledge you have or what you can brag about. It doesn't matter who you, how much you can glorify yourself. Unless you know that you're in desperate need of Jesus Christ and you're not just always glorifying yourself, you're missing out on the greatest thing that you can be celebrating. And it's certainly not us. It's not, it's not you. It's not me. It's glorifying what we desperately need. This series, I want to be talking about looking at our identity, who we are. I wanted to start, though, who we are naturally, because that can really emphasize next week and the week after of who we can be and who we are, who we should be in Christ, knowing this right here that we desperately need him to revitalize us because without him, without God, without Jesus working in our lives, we are broken and we're in desperate need of him. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the sermon. If you're not already a part of the ET family, we invite you to join us on Wednesday nights. For more information, visit etchurch.org. Thanks again for listening and we hope to see you soon.